0: we bring our clients into our facility for a day, maybe two, and we put them through a set of experiences, to your point, that expose them to new ideas and ways of thinking, but then digs deep into an important business challenge that they're facing right now. And we help them reason through that and solve it during that day.
1: We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. and in the U.S.
0: employs more people than Google, Apple,
1: Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 87 of the program happening right now, part two of our Deloitte series. Today, we sit down with Jennifer Juno, Managing Director of the Deloitte Greenhouse Project. Great work that they're doing over there at the greenhouse with a different way of looking at helping with problem solving for today's business leaders. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing over here at Renewable with our COO and co-founder, Miss Ann Niemer.
0: Hi, Ann Niemer here, co-founder and COO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know everyone has sustainability needs and wants. We want to help you reach your ESG goal. Our goal is to bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both buyers and sellers. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you need to procure energy or find an off-taker for a renewable project, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Our other projects include solar or battery storage development, renewable natural gas or responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, and HVAC efficiency upgrades, or unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, all helping our customers reach their sustainability goals and meeting their ESG needs. Please visit our website at erenew.net or call us at 1 866 erenew1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable.
1: Thank you so much for that, Miss Ann Niebuhr. Don't forget, you can find out more about the company over at erenew.net and be sure to give us a follow on our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. Follow us on Twitter as well at erenew2020. And of course, if you follow us on our LinkedIn page, then you can become a follower Friday podcast guest it's taken the world by storm okay maybe not the world but i'll tell you what It's a great podcast. We've had a lot of fun with it so far, and of course, all you have to do to be included is just be a follower on the LinkedIn page. So without further ado, let's get to part two of our Deloitte series. Got to give a huge shout out to Miss Alyssa Weir and, of course, Marlene Matika. Great stuff from them in part one, talking about what Deloitte is doing to help its clients with the energy transition and what they're doing on the renewable stage. Part two, we're going to sit down with Miss Jennifer Juno, talking about what they're doing with the Deloitte Greenhouse, how they're helping their clients, problems solve and look at challenges in a different way, change management, one of the strategies they're using. And of course, with some of the ideas and products that have come out of the greenhouse, you definitely do not want to miss that. So without further ado, part two of our Deloitte series starts right now. Here is Jennifer Juno, Managing Director of the Deloitte Greenhouse.
0: I've been with the firm for 25 years, largely in our consulting practice, actually about 15 years in our consulting practice in a variety of industries. And then I joined the group that is now called the Deloitte Greenhouse, which is essentially an innovation center about 10 years ago. And so I've really focused the last 10 years of my life on helping clients think through how to solve problems in a different and and better and more innovative way.
1: And so you were part of the very first greenhouse initiative way back when, in what, 2013, if I'm not mistaken, over in Singapore?
0: I was. So I, you know, I was actually here, you know, on this team, actually with the team that was a predecessor to what we now call the Deloitte Greenhouse here in the United States. Life happened and and I ended up moving to Singapore with with my husband because of his job and was very much at the right place at the right time when, when the broader firm globally decided to rebrand our experiential offerings as the Deloitte Greenhouse. And so I was sitting there in, 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 Singapore with a, a glass conference room so I, I was able to print out some vinyls and slap them up on the wall within a week of learning what our new branding was going to be and ultimately became the very first greenhouse in the world sitting there in Singapore as it took another 10 or 12 months for the our member firms in the US and the UK to you know build out their real estate and you know build our innovation centers like the one that we just opened here in Houston
1: What were you doing prior to, you know, the greenhouse? uh, You know, what part of Deloitte were you working in? And what was that transition like if you weren't in renewables already, just making that transition for what part of Deloitte you were in and then jumping into the renewable side of things and, of course, where you've been leading the way for 10 years later?
0: I was in our management consulting, basically our strategy and operations consulting practice for, you know, about 15 years. I I worked in a variety of industries, and I, I basically just worked with clients around issues around, technology implementation, project management, you know, all that sort of, that good kind of bread and butter consulting thing. So it gave me a really solid foundation for stepping into the world where we were, you know, getting a little bit more focused on uh, technology and industry. Um, You know, what did the greenhouse look like in Singapore? Uh, It was a large conference room with glass walls and some colorful chairs that moved around and a bunch of whiteboards, basically. to to be frank. And so what that has evolved from, you know, maybe a thousand square feet 10 years ago is to where I'm sitting today, actually physically sitting here in the Houston greenhouse, which is our newest greenhouse. Uh, We opened it in October of 2021. It is 14,000 square feet, so 14 times the size of my original greenhouse that I opened over there in Singapore, you know, with seven unique rooms where we have different types of conversations with clients. Um, some of them are, you know, kind of, kind of more along the line of just a general facilitation room. Now, nowadays, we don't have whiteboards. Now we've got a 16-foot screen um, that, you know, is basically a massive iPad on the wall with, with satellite screens around it, you know, magnetic walls where we can put any content and 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 really um, and, and use as whiteboards. If we want, all the way through to we have a museum gallery type space where we we highlight both digital and physical assets. We have a, a room where we can do immersive, virtual and augmented reality, where we can actually project what people are seeing on their virtual reality glasses up on up on a, a, a large screen. We have a 360 degree movie theater type space. We call it an immersion dome with Dolby sound and and 360 degree curved walls where we can project um, we can project content. A massive cafe that's actually bigger bigger than our smallest greenhouse in the United. Uh, in here in the United States. We've got a maker space where we actually have a 3D printer where we, where we can do additive manufacturing and prototype things for our clients and also do digital prototyping. So it's just a complete transformation, really, in what it means to have an innovation center.
1: What was kind of the directive then for what the greenhouse was supposed to be to where, like you said, now, I mean, this thing is an event in and of itself.
0: What we do in the greenhouse is we help executives ideate, problem-solve, and prototype solutions for their for their toughest challenges. So we do that using the intersection of technology, human-centered design and plain old just good old client service consultative skills. I'm going to focus a little bit on human-centered design for a second because I actually think that's one of our differentiators at the Deloitte Greenhouse. Yes, we have, you know, we have a beautiful space. Yes, we have technology and innovation, but the human-centered design is is actually critical to what we do. So what we do is we bring our clients into our facility for a day, maybe two, and we put them through a set of experiences to your point that expose them to new ideas and ways of thinking, but then digs deep into an important business challenge that they're facing right now. And we help them reason through that and solve it during that day. So we typically have a six week planning cycle. We custom design every experience for our clients. We have assets and solutions that are off the shelf that are of interest to our clients in the energy resources and industrials industry. But every experience is unique. Let me dig into that just a little bit more, because I I know that might sound a little squishy and maybe even there's some, you know, some consulting ease in there, but I want to make try to make it a little bit real for you. So, you know, first of all, I mentioned human-centered design, but look, I'm going to acknowledge that human-centered design and design thinking, those words, which I just said are (laughs) differentiators for the Delight Greenhouse, those are in some ways buzzwords. So let me define what I mean. Most people, when they think about human-centered design, it's usually in the context of product design. So human-centered design is commonly used to build the next generation or the next iteration of the perfect smartphone or a better laundry detergent you know, that comes in a little convenient little pod or in the context of creating a better experience for a customer, maybe it's engineering like a quicker online checkout cart process. So, you know, we have design thinkers who design these products or these processes in the context of what humans really want or desire. That said, in, in our context, in the Deloitte greenhouse, our goal is to help create an experience that enables very smart business people to solve business challenges more quickly and effectively in the context of a specific problem that they want to solve today. So frankly, that is harder because problem solving is not an especially designed defined process. So, so what do we do so first of all we use the best adult learning pedagogy to expose our participants to new information in a way that's accessible it's engaging and frankly it's it's fun in particular we expose them to new technologies and ideas by creating an experience around it and not just like bringing them in and telling them them facts that that they don't know so let me give you a couple of examples of how how we do that so the, the first challenge is that there's just too much information out there. There are too many things to know and the pace of change nowadays is just staggering. So business executives, they can't keep up. It's hard enough to keep on top of their 10,000 emails and all the challenges that they have with their company and their industry and their function. So so maybe it's an HR or a finance exec and they aren't experts on cutting edge technologies or, or even if they are, it's almost impossible to keep up with the implications of the intersections of those technologies. So what does it mean to have IoT, 5G cloud and AI in the context of ESG? Like, what does that even mean? Um, not very many people know the answer to that. So so what do we do? So we in the Doy Greenhouse, we slow down, we always say with our clients, we slow down to allow you to speed up. So in Houston, one of our rooms that I mentioned, one of our seven rooms, is dedicated as like a museum gallery type space. So we actually have a pump, like a real pump that could be used, you know, in an industrial environment to, you know, pump a liquid, say oil, gas, Mm -hmm. whatever. And it has a sensor on it. So we can show you that when this sensor detects an anomaly, it can use the 5G network to transmit the data up to the cloud. And then we have an application on an iPad that they can actually hold in their hands it has got some AI technology on it and some analytics to analyze the data and then present a variety of different solutions to the end user that actually align with their ESG goals. And so when we show that to them, do we let them touch it? We let them play with it. They can understand it. They can understand the possibilities of the technologies and the intersections of those technologies. And they can really think through how that applies to the specific business problem that they're trying to solve. The second challenge that I see every day It relates to, it also relates to the pace of change, but it has more to do with the human aspect of how people deal with change. So in short, people are really bad at changing their behavior. We all know this, if it wasn't true, there wouldn't be such a thing as nicotine patches. And yet we all completely underestimate the impact of this reality, particularly in the year 2022, when the pace of change has gone exponential on us. So in short, Business executives are often sub-optimizing their business planning and their decision-making because they are working on the assumption of a way that the world works that just doesn't apply anymore. So let me give you another, hopefully a visceral visual, as much as I can on a podcast example of how we might bring that reality to our clients. We have in our greenhouse, we have a bike, a bicycle. It's blue. It sits over in the corner in one of our rooms, actually our makerspace room. We bring it out every once in a while, maybe after lunch or after a break, and I I bring it out and I ask if we have any volunteers who want to ride the bike. We make them sign a release form, we give them a helmet, and this volunteer tries to ride the bike and they can't, they can't ride it. So I say, oh, it looks like what's happening here is that you don't have all the information that you need to ride this bike. So I point out that it's not a normal bike, it's actually a backwards bike. It, it's, it's a normal bike and always, except for one, there's this extra gear that's right below the handlebars that makes it so when you turn the handlebars to the left, the wheel actually goes to the right. And when you turn the handlebars to the right, the wheel actually goes to the left. So it's exactly the opposite of how a, a normal bike works. So hopefully sure. you can imagine. So then I ask for a second volunteer and I say, okay, now everybody knows how this bike works. So it should be easy to ride, right? And so the second person comes up and they try to ride the bike and they can't do it. Right. Even though they know how the bike works. And I say, Oh, well, we must not have the right incentives. So I pull a hundred dollar bill out of my pocket and I say, anybody who can ride this bike across the road gets this hundred dollar bill. And somebody jumps up and they try to ride the bike. And of course they can't do it. And I say, okay, well, no one can ride this bike right now. How long do you think it would take you to learn how to ride the bike? And people say, well, 15 minutes or three days or a week. And then I tell them the story of the backwards bicycle. Okay. So the story of the backwards is it was actually created as a joke for this guy who has a YouTube channel. It's called Smarter Every Day, if you want to look it up. Smarter Every Day Backwards Bike on YouTube. So his engineers in his shop made this bike and he jumps on it and he tries to ride it, thinking he can of course he can't ride this bike. And so he sets a personal challenge for himself to learn how to ride this bike. He practices it for five minutes every day in his driveway. And after eight months, he learns how to ride the bike. Okay, now interestingly, his son, who's about six at the time, learns how to ride the bike in two weeks, <laughs> which, which points to neural neuroplasticity of children. Yeah. Okay, we've all heard about that. So what's going on? And, and, and first of all, and why am I telling you this? So I I explain to my participants at this point, I say that we as humans, when we learn how to do something new, there's an actual physical process that goes on our brain. Basically, the brain lays down a new neural pathway, um, which is what happens when you learn to do something new. And the way it does that is by actually protecting that new electrical pathway in your brain by building this like fatty sheath around it. It's called myelin it builds this around the new pathway, which is the kind of the new way of thinking of eating. It's, it's kind of like, you know, like if you're thinking about like a wire, it's got like that insulating plastic around it. Right. So it's, it's that basically. And so it keeps the electrical pathway isolated from cross signals in the brain and it makes it really efficient. So over time you lay down this new pathway and oh, by the way, the more complex the task, the longer it takes. And so riding a bike is, believe it or not, a pretty complex task and with all the spatial awareness and the balance and everything that you need. So in addition to all of that, it also takes time for the myelin that's around that old pathway to break down, to atrophy, to disappear, to basically unlearn your old behavior. And sometimes that takes months of time. And oh, by the way, if you go back and use that old pathway, even once it gets reinforced, And the new one gets weaker. So why am I telling you this? So interestingly, this guy, after all of this, he goes and he tries to ride a normal bike and he actually can't do it. So he practices for like 30 minutes and it clicks back in. So it takes him eight months to learn how to do something new. And it only takes him 30 minutes to click back into the old way of doing things.
1: The one item you have not hit on that I wrote on my notes was your little yellow friend that you had greet me at the door.
0: Dot the dog. One of our big hits in the Deloitte greenhouse is our uh, Boston Dynamics uh, robot dog. So yeah. basically it's an unmanned quadruped robot It kind of looks like a dog, but it doesn't have a head. So that's a little freaky, but basically it's used, uh, it's kind of, it's a drone basically. So it is, it's a, is a, it's a form of drone. Most people think of drones as little, you know, little things that fly, but this is a, you know, an unmanned robot. Um, which is also drone. So it's kind of the opposite of what uh, the value proposition of, you know, flying drones are. So flying drones can go up really high. They can cover very large distances in a short period of time. They can see things from a high up perspective. Dot the dog, which we call dot by the way, because of the green dot in Deloitte, um, it's part of the spot line from, from Boston dynamics is actually the opposite, right? So low to the ground, small spaces, um, you know, maybe in 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 mines or you know there's a use case on oil platforms. um just think things that basically could be dangerous where you wouldn't want to send a human. And so, you know, it's an, it's an an example of you know drone technology basically taken to you know a, a different level from the drones that you know that we play with in our backyards. I mean, getting to renewables, mean I, I guess I would say that we have a lot of clients that come through the door that are asking questions like, what should my goals be related to my ESG program? Okay. If I even, if I even have one, what new technologies are going to support my goals for a lower carbon future or, or any variation of these thing, themes? And, 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 and by the way, this is increasingly common, notably more common in the last, say, you know, 12 to 24 months. A lot more questions coming through the door around around those topics. I mentioned before that we have a lot of interest in understanding the broad technologies in the marketplace that can support all sorts of new innovations, cloud, 5G, AI, analytics, IoT, cyber, digital twins, drones. What's interesting is that, for me at least, that a lot of those underlying technologies that people are interested in from a from a broad business perspective are the same ones that are underpinning the journey, making renewables more feasible and cost effective. So, so there's that. So like, I think people could come in and say, hey, I wanna learn more about IoT or cyber or digital twins, but you know, they could, the application is broad. It could be used for making renewables more feasible or or other things to, to make them more feasible and cost effective. So we help our clients understand that and we help them understand and th- that kind of pace of change and, and then a lot of clients are also coming in broadly wanting to think about their journey to a lower carbon future, their ESG objectives, basically, and wanting to explore where they are today and understand the array of options for projects and initiatives that they can implement to achieve that goal. So another example, again, in my gallery space of a specific tool that we have that we can show them and actually let them play with, and uh, it's called Risk Connect. So it's actually um, an application that we created at Deloitte that shows them the journey of, you know, where they are today. Um, we have to work with them quite a bit to understand where they are today to get that kind of baseline, but then it actually gives them an array of possible potential options or projects that they can use to lower their carbon footprint, renewables almost always being one, one of the options there to actually, you know, consider what that portfolio of options to be to get to whatever their, you know, their goal is, be it net zero or something else.
1: Is there anything that, you know, just us regular lay folk, that anything that's come out of the greenhouse over these last eight or nine years, whether it's a product, a technology, a process that is born from collaboration in, in the greenhouse?
0: Yeah, I mean, m- many things. I'll, I'll name one that's actually probably one of our more public facing offerings, which is is actually called business chemistry. It's actually a business personality test and system. So think Myers-Briggs or DISC. So we actually created our own personality system here at Deloitte with the intention of making something that was extremely business, simple, easy to use, and business relevant. So we have had, I think it's over 700,000 people not only take our business chemistry test, but also go through at least an hour session on it. Uh, we were on the cover of Harvard Business Review in April of 2017 with this new business personality test. And there's a book called Business Chemistry that uh, you can find at your um, I'm not sure if it's still on the airport shelves, but it was it was a bestseller for over a year. Um, and so that that's probably one of our more market facing uh, offerings that we've created. It's been wildly, wildly successful. And that came out of the greenhouse.
1: Did you take the business chemistry test and did you learn anything new about you? from the business chemistry um, test?
0: Well, um, yes and no. I actually, when I, when I when I joined the team, my very first project, I spent two years developing the business chemistry system. So I, I did all the science and created the, the assets. And, and so I have taken the test many times, but it's not really fair because I, I actually
1: created you it. You created it. Do you guys network with like Greentown Labs or the ION or any of those incubators that are a little different than you? but yet a gathering place at the same time. Do you network and associate with them uh, within your organization?
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, for example, when we had World Petroleum Congress back in December in Houston in 2020, December, 2021, we were a sponsor of uh, World Petroleum Congress and we actually did our, our marquee events at the ion and we, you know, brought our green, we brought our dot the dog over there to the ion and did some demonstrations. So You know, we have, you know, a history of it and and an ambition to, to, I've had Greentown Labs actually come into the greenhouse and tour. I gave them a tour similar to, to what I gave you. So, yeah, we're definitely working within the broader innovation ecosystem here in Houston
1: you so much for that, Miss Jennifer Juno. Don't forget, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes, including part one, over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and, of course, over on our website, eRenew.net. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and we know that a lot of you do, give us a five-star rating why, because we promise you'll learn more about the energy transition and renewable energy from the podcast than you knew about it before you stopped by. Got to give a shout-out, as always, to the entire E Renewable team and staff and Mike, Roger, Al, all the guests, all the audience, and everybody that participates with us, both on social media and through the podcast. Without you guys doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. Don't forget another Follower Friday coming up this week. And like I said, all you got to do is follow us on the LinkedIn page and we'll get you on the Follower Friday podcast. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.